1: Welcome into the Rotowire NFL podcast, brought to you by our friends over at WinBet. I am your host, John McCackney, joined as always by Mario Puig. Mario, I am back uh, in the saddle after uh, having to miss last week due to um, some water-related uh, nonsense going on at my apartment. Um, it has since been desogified, dehumidified, however you want to put it. Uh, so we're good. I'm not even right. I'm not even there right now, which is okay as well but uh yeah i was going to ask did you flee because of it is that why you're (laughs) in uh maryland now i I was i was tempted i'm up here for a friend's uh wedding this weekend shout out my guy will um but yeah uh yeah spent the whole like thursday friday saturday just kind of dealing with that but uh things are okay now and and the apartment's no longer underwater so uh we're, we're living right
2: that's pretty cool uh do you like it without the water as much
1: um, I mean, the water did add a certain funk to, to the place, you know, which you got to appreciate and respect, but at the same time, um, you know, that, that's a, probably more fertile it, too. Yeah. Yeah. But at a certain point it overstays its welcome and, <clears throat> you know, it becomes a whole thing. It starts, you know, eating your cereal, uh, when you don't want it to, and it doesn't ask or, you know, uh, starts taking your beer. So it's just, you know, it's a whole thing. Uh, so I'm glad that it's gone. It was just a brief, brief visitor, but anyway, um, anything eventful going on in your world before we jump in on on today's episode uh,
2: mostly just complaining about how hot it is and um, I don't know I I'm trying not to see anything about the preseason results wise like I know we have to talk about it but uh, I'm trying to avoid the Twitter I guess especially like I, I don't I guess I can't go on Twitter whenever these games are happening because we're gonna have people tweeting things that just kill me, basically, and I'm um, trying to avoid that uh, more than anything else.
1: Yeah, Twitter, um, it, a lot of the time, it, it tends to be at its worst when there are standalone games that everyone is watching, so everyone is throwing darts at the same exact thing, and it, it gets it gets even crazier when it's something as non-actionable as preseason. Uh, you know, like d- during the Hall of Fame game last week, uh, the takes are flying, and you're just like, why, why, but...
2: Um, yeah, I'm like I'm not even an I'm not an Aj Harris guy, and I don't want to be online when people are saying is he bad now? He has you know only 15 yards on 10 preseason carries. Is he bad
1: now? Like that will kill me too. See, exa- exactly, exactly. So uh, important to keep a level head, and, and maybe the the best way of going about that is uh, logging off during during some of these preseason games and just kind of enjoying them and keeping your comments to. Uh, the walls in your house, that type of thing. Um, but let's go ahead. We got a, a lot to get to on today's show. Of course, obviously, preseason week one really gets into the swing of things this week. We got a couple games tonight, a handful of games tomorrow night, and then all the way uh, through Saturday and Sunday as well. So a lot of preseason action over these next four days. We got a, new, a lot of news and notes coming out of training camp. will actually kick off there. And then also uh, Mario did his beat Mario Puig NFFC draft last week, so we'll dive into that. It's it's a good-looking roster. It's a very Mario-looking roster, so we we will have to examine further. But let's kick things off. What's going on with Dak Prescott, Mario? The the Cowboys send out a tweet that I can only imagine their social media manager, as he clicked send on it last night, was just pouring sweat. You know, it's like, this isn't, we're not worried, we're not scared, this isn't a setback, but uh, yeah, he's getting another MRI, by the way.
2: Maybe he was sweating nervously. Maybe he was chuckling. Maybe he was. Maybe he knew there wasn't really as much panic warranted as he knew what come from this tweet. Because, uh, like I'm taking the kind of I guess maybe this is baseless, but I'm taking kind of like just an optimistic default view of it. Because I I don't know why they would tweet that if there was actual bad news. It would seem kind of. Flippant and in poor—I don't know if flippant is the right. It would be in poor taste. It would be kind of oh, glib. That's the word that I'm looking for. It would have been glib to be like to be like in charge of the Dallas Cowboys Twitter account and and Jerry, I, I guess for some reason is calling you guy who manages the the Dallas Cowboys Twitter account and saying, "Oh no, Dax's shoulder is broke actually, but don't tell anyone that. Tell them only about the MRI." And tell them that it's all fine, like that seems weird to me. So I guess I'm hoping/slash assuming that this is just kind of like a pre-scheduled MRI, and they're they're going in to see if it's like getting better. Hopefully, uh, I'm hoping it's it's more of something of that nature. Of course, but I mean, I guess in the meantime, I don't I I know as little as everybody else. But if if it were a bad or like even vaguely concerning situation. That tweet kind of seems insane to let out.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think you, you have it right there. And, and, you know, with Jerry Jones, when you put salt on your McGriddles, it can make you act all funny. So, <laughs> you know, who 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 knows uh, what to say on, on the matter exactly. But, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not pressing the panic button on, on Prescott right now yet. I'm still taking him where he's going in drafts, maybe I would I would push you know your Lamar's or your Kyler's ahead of him in the, in that you know kind of three guy tier. Um, but I, I still think that by the time that week one rolls around, Dak's going to be good to go. The ankle I think is you know it's really a positive sign that that's not been really an issue at all um, since training camp started. So you know this could just be some typical arm soreness. You know you ramp up your your quarterback threat you know you're throwing activity and things can just get sore really quickly I mean that that definitely happens so um, here's hoping for the best on that but but yeah I'm, I'm I'm gonna lean on the side of optimism when it when it comes to Dak uh, for better or for worse at least right now and he's hoping to play in the next preseason game that's the latest note that we have on him over at Rotowire let's get on to uh, the next news uh, so rookie first rounder Rashad Bateman uh, goes down with an injury the other day. Uh, Coach John Harbaugh says it's going to be a, a, an injury that keeps him out for weeks. And then it, it comes out um, Thursday morning for, from the Ravens beat reporters that indeed he will he will need surgery, be out till September is is the word uh, coming out of Baltimore. So uh, how does this impact you as far as your um, shares of Rashad Bateman? Are, are you going to continue to to go after him in drafts? Do you expect a a significant um drop in his ADP and and you know, what does this mean for the Ravens offense? Because I feel like he was gonna be a pretty important piece, uh, at least to get things rolling. You know, you have Sammy Watkins, you have Marquise Brown, who Marquise Brown has been banged up in, in his own right a bit this preseason as well. So I feel like there's a there's some risk here with this Ravens offense starting the year a little bit clunky, a little bit slow.
2: I suppose so I'm I guess as a result of being higher than most people on not just Marquise Brown, but also Sammy Watkins, of course, and Devin Duvernay, and probably even guys like Tylon Wallace, maybe even Mark Andrews. Like I, I think sometimes Mark Andrews gets a little less respect than he should. So I think it it is a it is a bit of a loss. Like they're gonna have a few less bullets in the clip, but I think it's it's still enough around there, and they they have enough to lean on in the run game in the meantime that. I just, I just don't think it'll matter. It certainly won't matter for me in, in terms of, like, how I'm projecting the rest of the offense. And that includes, like, I'm not raising Marquise Brown or Sammy Watkins. Like, I, I think those three guys, Rashad Bateman, Sammy Watkins, Marquise Brown, were largely going to coexist anyway. So um, I don't really see it as, like, Rashad Bateman missing means that Watkins does more or Brown does more. I guess they could. But I, I think Devin DuVernay is good enough, and, and if need be, Tyler Wallace – they should be able to kind of keep the offense as designed moving along. And and Lamar of course does so much with his legs that this could just be a big who care. And in, in like a couple of weeks of Lamar running three or four more times than usual, that probably doesn't matter. And yet it's something that they could easily pull off. So I think the Ravens offense is in a really good place. I wish, you know, they had a different offensive coordinator. I wish they had Brian Dable as the offensive coordinator, not Greg Roman, but, uh, I'm not gonna like fret over this too much for the overall team health. For Bateman specifically, it's it's definitely disappointing. But I don't I don't wonder did, did anyone say whether this was like actually a groin injury or if it was more like a sports hernia? Because if it's a sports hernia, he might be back as soon as like week three, and uh, back to like totally full speed maybe by I don't know week four or five. So. I just, I just think this could be one of these, one of those events that we do not remember a year from now. Like we, we just, we look back and think, like, hey, the Ravens had a pretty good year. Rashad Bateman's good. We knew that. Uh, nothing surprising there. Th- this, this all went pretty good. I, I don't know if anyone will really remember about how, uh, you know, Bateman had that surgery in August for a sports hernia, a groin, or whatever, and that ruined his season. Like that would be pretty surprising to me.
1: Okay. Alright, we'll, we'll have to, to monitor and, and uh, you know, Ravens people always remember a, a, a receiver, first rounder, getting an injury, having it downplayed, and then, uh, you know, the the Rashad Perriman scar tissue still exists. Oh, okay. Uh, I thought you were going to say, like,
2: Mark Clayton or something.
1: And I was like, Mark I, Clayton nope. ended up being okay. He was <laughs> fine. He, was, he wasn't as bad as people say. Travis Taylor was pretty bad, though. Oh, uh, Travis
2: Taylor, 2000, <laughs> 2000 era. He yeah. was terrible.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you get things started with Jamal Lewis, and then you just go ahead and flub it uh, with with the the Travis Taylor selection. Um, Oh, well. Um, And then one last comment I'll make, because I I follow them fairly closely, of course. Um, Maybe this means more for your preseason DFS lineups, but uh, it seems like James Prochet has played his way onto the roster. Uh, He has basically played Miles Boykin off the roster from basically everything that I've seen.
2: That's pretty hard to do, because they play totally different positions, too.
1: Yeah, but the, you can only carry so many receivers, and obviously I would cut them, Boykin
2: first. Yeah, yeah, I would go with yeah, Prochet. <laughs>
1: so, so I mean, Prochet, probably just a slot guy, but you know, just he keep, can catch keep an eye on him. He'll be, he'll be, he can. He he's got big mitts and uh, reliable hands. Um, so I, I'll keep an eye on on his uh, role for this weekend. But yeah, I, he, I he can't be worse than
2: Snead. Basically, like he could he can do whatever Snead would have done.
1: See? At the yeah. very least. That, that, that mm. had some utility, as, as minimal as it was. Um, let's get on over to another rookie. Um, this coming out just earlier Thursday, Elijah Moore, the, the rookie out of Ole Miss, playing, of course, for the New York Jets, getting an MRI on his quad, um, early exit from Thursday's practice. Uh, apparently, uh, that's... Not great, but again, we, we're we not really going to know anything until the results of, of that are released. We don't know if it's a precautionary MRI. I don't even know how precautionary an MRI can be. There's obviously got to be something in order to get one of those things uh, rolling. But either way, I feel like he's kind of the key to that receiving core. We've heard... Bad things about Denzel Mims basically all August. So I feel like there's going to be a lot on Moore's shoulders, and and an injury to him uh, could really be catastrophic.
2: Yeah, I in in a case like this, I guess to me it just matters like what the actual diagnosis is because if if he's going to miss time in the regular season, then that's the problem. Like I, I don't I don't worry so much about Moore getting ready or getting acclimated. Like I think. There will be a role for a player as talented as him, and as for a team as invested in him as the Jets are. So I'm, I'm not really worried about him getting back and you know a, a few days before the season starts, but not really playing until October. Like that, that shouldn't be an issue. If he's physically able to play, he should be able to just jump in and go. So I'm I'm kind of an optimist from that angle, I guess, but. I guess I guess uh, the quad thing is a little more concerning to me in, than uh, the Bateman thing. In the meantime, just because the worst case hasn't been ruled out, but uh, yeah, like I'm not trying to make the the sports hernia kind of thing sound easy or whatever. But we more or less know it's like a six week kind of thing, and uh, quad. I, I, it's just something that I know less about, or I don't remember. Rather, I, I know nothing about either one. I just remember fewer cases of quad injuries, so I don't have that easy like recollection of this guy had that happen and it was okay. So I guess I'm going to be kind of anxious waiting for the diagnosis, the prognosis, but if Moore is able to just kind of get into practice by Thursday before week one, I think he'll be whatever he was before the injury too.
1: Okay. All right. That that's pretty much reassuring. So, so yeah, that this is something that um, could be a problem, but if it is what we'll know a little bit um, later on down the road, uh, some interesting news coming out of Indianapolis this week with Carson Wentz, of course, going down with that foot injury re- that required surgery uh, just a, just a week or so ago. Back on back on August second, um, but there's reports that he could be available for that season opener for Indianapolis. So, one, are you buying it? And, and two, you know, how how are you just overall reacting to to this news?
2: Huh? Yeah, I don't care. I guess I <laughs> think it would almost more likely be bad for Carson Wentz to try to play week one than a benefit. I, I okay. So it sounds like Quentin Nelson and, and Carson Wentz are dealing with more or less the same thing, or I, I would assume right, the contagious a, foot injury. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I assume that's what it is and why they got the same five to 12 weeks or whatever the, the stupid prognosis was. Um, In Nelson's case, though, I can more easily see it being on the shorter end. A, because he's a psycho. B, because offensive line is easier than playing, or offensive line has kind of more prescribed set of motions, I would say, than quarterback, because it's like, uh, it's still, you know, of course, bruising, uh, rigorous stuff. I don't mean to make it sound like it's easier, but you can kind of just tape up a really bruised, beaten up ankle to the point that it doesn't bend very much and then the pain doesn't really show up anymore and you almost forget that it's hurt and as long as you don't have to do any motions where you do bend it in a way that it, it hurts or if taping it up doesn't stop you from making a motion that you would otherwise need to make, then you might be able to kind of just get by with it and and Nelson, being a crazy guy who's, who's as intense as he is, you know he's going to be preparing like a madman, you know like he, he is an actual madman on the field and off, so he'll he'll be really psychotically working toward that outcome. But uh, in Wentz's case, it's it's not so much like he can just you know squat out of his stance, set his feet, punch a guy, try to shuffle left and right neatly, and you know hopefully the ankle won't matter. Like with Wentz, the ankle will matter. He's got if he if he wants to throw the ball, it's going to matter. If he wants to do a more than like a two step drop, it's going to matter, and he's not going to be able to lean left to right looking around the field if if that ankle isn't giving him support so I'm kind of at once skeptical that Wentz gets the shorter end of this uh prognosis like unless the prognosis was just stupid long like if it, if it always was just going to be like a in seven or eight week thing rather than potentially a 12 then um I just can't really see Wentz getting back as fast as Nelson and if he does it's not going to be a benefit like he's He's bad to begin with, and then you're going to give him a bum leg too. It's Like I would guess, Jacob Eason is probably better than whatever Carson Wentz is on one one and a half legs. Maybe even Ellinger, and I don't. Th- I really don't understand why he was drafted. So mm-hmm. I don't care. Uh, to me, the 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 Colts are looking point blank at a scenario where they feed Taylor or they forfeit. So Wentz being there back early. I think it's still that same scenario. It's not like they get a, they're going to open up the offense like, oh, Carson's back and he's so great. It's okay that he only has one foot this time. He's he's just that good. It's like, no, that, that's not how it works.
1: No, it's really not. So, yeah, I've, I have not been optimistic about the Wentz in Indianapolis experiment since it, it came to fruition back in February or whatever it was, um, and I'm definitely not optimistic about it now. I think rushing it back, like you said, could only you know make things worse potentially so that This is a tough scene uh, there in Indy, potentially. Um, Let's move on over. Let's get into some preseason discussion. But before then, um, a quick word uh, from our sponsors.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
1: All right, let's get things rolling. So, obviously, this is week the first full week of preseason action, so the first time that we get to see a lot of these high-profile rookies and other guys um, finally take the field in, in you know what, what kind of looks like a, a real football game for the most part. So I want to start things out uh, for you with Justin Fields, obviously the rookie out of Ohio State, going to play – um, potentially into the fourth quarter of Saturday's preseason game against Miami. So da- Dalton uh, expected to start there, but it sounds like Fields could get upwards of you know half of the game worth of playing time. So what, what are you looking for? What are you expecting out of Fields in this one?
2: I think he should do well. Um, I guess it's hard to know. Good quarterbacks have done poorly as rookies in the preseason in the past and then done well in the regular season. I guess the most glaring case of that, like well, Kyler Murray, I guess was, was a recent one. I remember that that's why I can't be on Twitter when these stupid <laughs> games are happening. Cause like when Kyler Murray had his first game, there are all these people because he, he got sacked a bunch and everything just looks stupid with the Cardinals offense. And people like, "Ah, oh, look at how short he is. I knew this would happen. And those people didn't have to pay a price for spewing all that garbage. You know, they just, nope. they're still tweeting. They still have their followers from back when, when they said that noxious crap. So uh, I can't I can't watch because, yeah, Kyler Murray struggled as a preseason rookie quarterback. Cam Newton had one of the most legendarily bad preseasons of all time his rookie year. And then he set the rookie passing record in week one against the Packers. Or, or it wasn't against the Cardinals. Packers. It's Cardinals. Cardinals, yeah, yeah. sorry. Uh, we had it. It was on the Wisconsin cable, so I assumed it must have been uh, Packers. But, yeah, it was Cardinals. Uh, so, yeah, Justin Fields could have a totally good regular season even if he bombs in this game. So there's 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 always stakes to it in the sense that if Fields does struggle, then you would imagine the Bears are that much more resolute and saying, yeah, Dalton's are starting quarterback, not just for week one, maybe the whole year. And I think the way this is going to play out is even regardless of how Fields does in the preseason, I think Dalton is going to start week one, largely because they maybe for good reason, just want to keep uh fields away from is it the rams that they play in week one it's it's some kind of tough defense yeah it's some kind of tough defense and i i think fields is a good prospect and i'm not particularly close to as high on him as his biggest fans are like i think there are some concerns with him and i think i would be a little worried about him going against the rams so as someone who's already drafted fields on a few best ball teams i'm okay with him sitting week one especially if it preserves his confidence and and doesn't mess up his rhythm in his development but the more that he shows good in a game like this the more pressure is going to build on the bears to get fields on the in the lineup and right i think that if you're a fields investor you take it as a good sign that they're saying they're going to play him all game because that's that like it doesn't mean that he's going to do well and it doesn't mean that he's going to build pressure on the bears to get on the field but if Nagy is willing to leave Fields on, on, God, I gotta think of some other word. The the dang gridiron for four quarters, John. Then it means that Nagy is okay with the possibility that Fields looks great, much better than Dalton, thus forcing him to put Fields into the starting lineup. I think if they were if they were resolved to like not giving Fields a chance, I don't know why they would set this up for themselves to get pressured into having to put him on the field. So. I think it's a good i think it's a good sign for him i i would sooner guess he does well than poorly but it, it's hard to know because preseason does not matter people will tell you otherwise they're wrong
1: it doesn't matter okay i mean uh yeah but when it comes to to fields getting that that longer look tonight yeah that i feel like if you are one of one of the fields optimists and i count myself among them maybe not to the extreme most extreme end but um, nonetheless, you know the more chances he gets out there, especially in a preseason game where the you know the Dolphins are going to be playing a you know some sort of just shell of a, of of a defense with nothing complicated going on really, you know I think that that's a setup where he can really shine. So I feel like he can he can start putting that, that pressure on the Bears and and on the front office. Whether again it has any week one impact, Vegas doesn't seem to think so. I think when when I looked at the board on that on that specific prop back in July. Dalton was like minus 300 to, to start week one. So, I mean, it, it's, um, it's... I think it's week two.
2: I think it's week two that Fields mm-hmm. gets out there, and I can almost understand it. You know, like, I, they're, not, they're probably not winning that game. Uh, they're definitely not competing this year with Dalton. So, like, what's the difference in losing one game to start the year in a 17-game season that you probably weren't competing anyway, especially if you can spare Fields the exposure to Aaron Donald for that mm-hmm. crap offensive line that they have? So uh, but yeah, Dalton sucks, man. I, I I had to write about you know the quarterback battles the other day, and I was I was thinking earlier this offseason, like Dalton might be okay. He might be kind of like a band-aid, a soggy band-aid that somehow stays on, even though you're you know in the rain or whatever. But he sucks. He's always sucked. Even in his good years, he was not good. It was just AJ Green doing Herculean efforts to to lift him up, and then once AJ Green left, even on that Dallas offense last year, Dalton still sucked. So, I I think the, the the Bears are basically kidding themselves that they think they can hide
1: Fields forever. Yep, and you know that you know they wouldn't have taken it. It wouldn't make sense to take him where they did, and and, I, and I they just, signed Dalton only, or
2: maybe we don't know only because, but they didn't expect Fields to be there. They didn't expect right. Fields to be an option. So they were like, I guess we got to sign Dalton, but yep. it turned out they didn't.
1: And they had the, the famous uh, Andy picture of Andy Dalton in the Bears jersey, QB1. Uh, that, that's that's uh, one of the best uh, posts from, from this past year. Um, yeah. let's, let's, uh, let's keep looking around. Um, we got Broncos Vikings coming up th- this weekend on Saturday. Do you think there's going to be anything, any lessons to learn potentially from that backfield and also the quarterback position when it comes to the Broncos? Um,
2: I think there could be something to learn at quarterback in the sense that not that I would but I can imagine the Broncos coaches caring about how Bridgewater and Locke perform in the preseason to me it it would just not matter at all but these guys especially man Fangio's he's like 70 or something he might be kind of like that old school way of like preseason counts and you know you got to do well in the preseason I don't I don't want to I don't want to speak for Vic he might not believe that at all but um I I don't think that they're just gonna go with one of the two quarterbacks if that quarterback did much worse in the preseason than the other so as someone who's kind of a Bridgewater optimist and oh so slightly invested like I, I think I have literally one best ball team with Teddy Bridgewater at quarterback I hope he wins, and if he does poorly, I'm going to be a little concerned that my my whole calculus was wrong. Um, but yeah, I, I'm interested in the Denver quarterback situation. I I don't want to rule out Locke becoming decent, but I have no faith in the meantime. He's been just rough so far. He he's had no good moments, and he 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 really just doesn't seem more than than just like a sl- kind of toolsy guy who just really isn't a natural quarterback. So the poor man's well, Jeff George. Yeah, something like that. Much cooler than Jeff George. I, that's the one That's the one thing about Drew that's tough. It's like he, he doesn't seem so bad. So it's hard to, you know, you definitely don't hope he does poorly. But I do hope that he does poorly if Teddy Bridgewater does poorly because I want Drew Locke to not be the starter this year. Uh, but anyway, the backfield, I doubt you'll learn anything about, like, Melvin Gordon versus Javante Williams. I know, God, Javante Hive, mm-hmm. they probably called into work if they had work. They're probably, like uh they, they have like a gender reveal type uh, thing built, but it's not revealing anything. It's just gonna be the color blue like for North Carolina or it's gonna be a, like a, a big monument to Javante underneath the, after you explode the exterior of it over several <laughs> nearby miles. Um, I don't know,
1: Started uh, yeah wildfire by accident. Yeah, uh, yeah that's that would, that would be the, that, that has would be, happened. <laughs> yeah. gender reveals are dangerous
2: oh god yeah you can't merely tell someone the gender of your child you have mm-hmm. to make a nuclear bomb and a, right. a in a brush fire prone area um <laughs> but anyway i think uh mike i guess a guy like mike boone might be able to kind of like muddy up that picture if he runs really well like maybe he can make it a three-headed monster kind of deal if he does great but Um, I guess I'm kind of interested to see what they do with Royce Freeman because he's listed fourth on the depth chart. And even before they did any OTAs, Vic Fangio had Mike Boone signed and then said, we have three running backs on this team, Uh, Melvin Gordon, Javante Williams and uh, Mike Boone. So we'll see. Uh, It sure seems like they're not planning to keep Freeman. And uh, I, I, I guess the Rams might not trade for anyone, I guess. The Falcons might be done making moves at running back after signing Deontay Foreman, but sure think they have reason to put Royce Freeman on display to try to trade him, or uh, maybe he can even work his way back onto the team. I don't know, uh, but there's something I guess to watch for the the deeper part of that Denver bench. Although I I think Gordon and Javante are just going to kind of like split things initially. I would imagine.
1: Okay, all right, that that definitely checks out. So yeah, I, th- I think the uh, that audition angle. Uh, where where the Broncos can, if they're really not planning on, on hanging on to Royce, uh, get him out there, uh, let him beat up on some third-string de- uh, yeah. defenders late in that game, put up, put some highlight tape out there and, you know, ship him off to, you know, somebody for, for conditional or, or whatever he would be worth at, at this stage. Um, let's get on over uh, to Jacksonville because, it, again, yeah. a, a lot of uh, – you know, there, there's a lot of teams where we're not going to learn much of anything this weekend. But the Jags, I mean, maybe we won't with them, but it's going to be entertaining nonetheless because we don't know anything, re- really. I mean, we, they're, they're talking about the open quarterback competition. We know that that's obviously <laughs> not, not true. No, John,
2: I think you should take very seriously the reports that Gardner Minshew might start over Trevor Lawrence. and And the people who tell you that it's a real competition, you should take them seriously later on, too. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's going to be pretty funny watching watching Urban Meyer go however long he does pretending like actually we might we might not be starting Trevor Lawrence it's not settled yet.
1: I think uh, I saw some some discourse on Twitter earlier that um, about Minshew over Wentz in Indianapolis and they should trade uh, Minshew there and like, oh, well, sure it honestly Who cares? Could, it could be worse <laughs> man um, why not but um, as far as like that this offense do you think we're going to learn anything about stuff like their tempo their formations anything Hmm. like that
2: i don't think they're going to have a lot of tempo uh i don't think they're going to be like above average maybe not below average but i don't i wouldn't expect to see an up-tempo preseason showing from the jags if only because i don't really expect to see it from them at any point uh could be wrong i hope they go up tempo that'd be cool i think uh, you know chip kelly was definitely onto something with that and uh, you see the rams do that you see the the 49ers situationally at least the patriots have been doing it for like three or four years now going very up tempo i would like to see that not going to get my hopes up exactly um but the formations i think we already know i mean it's going to be just kind of like a more spaced out Bavel kind of offense and i think um I beyond just like seeing how some of these guys look on an NFL field, there probably won't in that being just entertainment value rather than informational. But uh, beyond that, I don't really expect to see anything here. I, even if they start Carlos Hyde or something stupid like that, or start Gardner Minshew, it just, it just doesn't matter. There's not going to be anything to take away. We pretty much know what the Jaguars depth chart is. Uh, Yes. Trevor Lawrence is going to start at quarterback James Robinson and Travis Travis Etienne are the top two. Carlos Hyde is going to be the third running back. The receivers are going to be. I don't want to jinx Colin Johnson. He's been doing really well, and I was worried about Urban Meyer being goofy toward him, like, "Oh, he's too slow. He's not a. He's not fast enough. He's not Dontre Wilson." Where get me Dontre Wilson in here? Um, but it seems <laughs> like he's call. giving. Yeah, it seems like Colin. Wilson, uh, it seems like Colin Johnson's doing a good job, and it seems like uh, Myers kind of warming up to him. So he seems like the fourth receiver. The fifth receiver is going to be La- Tra- Laquan Shredwell, of all yeah, people, and the sixth doctorate. receiver. The sixth receiver is going to be uh, Agnew. So I don't think there's really much left to settle for their top six receivers. I guess it's down to like Dorsett versus Jalen Camp and Josh Immature Baby for the sixth or seventh receiver spot if they have one. So we'll see. Um, But yeah, the the don't care clause uh, definitely in effect here. I don't care if Trevor Lawrence looks rough or if Travis Etienne only has six yards and three carries. Um, But I bet they'll both look pretty good.
1: Okay. All right. Yeah, I'm. L- I'm looking forward to that one. Uh, you know, it as much as one can look forward uh, to a preseason game, of course. If I look forward to one,
2: that's the only one, just because I think I think Lawrence is going to blow people's minds this year, basically. And I think NFL people who don't watch college football don't really have like a frame of reference to understand him. And when they actually see him in motion, they're going to kind of just be like, "Huh, you don't see that every day."
1: Yeah, it's he's so different. It, it's uh, just. Absolutely absurd. So I, I actually, uh, I was kicking myself. I was doing an underdog best ball the other day, and I, I was looking for my second quarterback, or I was in a spot where I should have been taking one, and I, for whatever reason, just took another running back or or something like that because my running backs were thin, and I was like, oh no, I just missed on Trey Lance. Like I just absolutely screwed myself. But then Trevor Lawrence was still around the the next round. I'm like, I don't know how this worked out, but okay. People
2: are low on Trevor Lawrence, and I, I kind of understand it, but I more so really
1: don't understand it. Like, yeah, uh, I'm gonna go ahead take it, take a no on that. Yeah,
2: yeah, I like Lance too. He's he's kind of worth reaching for just because his market's a little higher, and that rushing upside is insane. But Trevor's right. gonna be a, a 17 game, you know, health permitting. But seven, he's a he's a
1: week one. It's 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 go time right away with Trevor Lawrence. Absolutely, and and again, just a, a ridiculous talent. Uh, before we finish out. Uh, some preseason discussion and and move on over to Mario's NFFC team. We've got some words from our sponsors leading us off here. We got our friends over at WinBet. If there's one thing we appreciate here at Rotowire, it's making good decisions, and even more so, making the right decision. Listen up, folks. I have an incredible offer for you with Rotowire's newest partner, WinBet, the premier digital casino and sportsbook app. WinBet is now the exclusive partner for Rotowire's. Fantasy podcast. WinBet brings you all the latest action with a user friendly interface, money line bets, boosted parlays, over unders, round robins, live betting, and so much more at your fingertips. And if you want a break from sports betting, head into WinBet's digital casino and take a spin on roulette, double down in blackjack, slam the slots, or try your hand at Baccarat. WinBet is currently available in six states that's Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. While rapidly expanding at WinBet, the possibilities are limitless. WinBet is currently offering all RotoWire listeners a risk free bet up to $500 on your first wager. Download WinBet right now. That's W Y N N B E T. WinBet, the exclusive partner for RotoWire's fantasy podcast. We also got a message from our friends over at Dynasty Owner Are you tired of the same old fantasy football leagues that get canceled year after year? If so, Dynasty Owner has your back. Go to DynastyOwner.com New leagues for the 2021 season are forming right now. Dynasty Owner unites the fun and excitement of fantasy football with the skill and strategy of the front office by incorporating a salary cap and real NFL player salaries for die-hard fantasy football fans that want the real GM experience. Dynasty Owner adds a whole new level of strategy. Are you worried you won't be able to find anyone to play in your league? Don't worry. Dynasty Owner can help Fill your league with fantasy football enthusiasts just like yourself. You won't have to worry about finding enough players. You can choose to start a league, join an existing, or purchase a team from a previous owner. If you're serious about joining the big leagues, go to dynastyowner.com slash rotawire. That's dynastyowner.com slash rotawire and start your dynasty today. We also have our friends. Over at AutoNew, AutoNew Fantasy Football lets you build your fantasy football dynasty like a real GM. It's better fantasy football. Auction-based, deep rosters, and college player prospects. Stash the next Rookie of the Year while he's still tearing it up on Saturdays. Trade for superstars to make a championship push. Develop a team over multiple years. Play against the best fantasy football competition on the Internet. Visit ottoneu.com to play today. All right, Mario, any other parting shots here? Anything else that you're looking for in particular when it comes to uh, preseason week one?
2: Um, I guess I'm looking forward to seeing Kylan Hill in Green Bay. Maybe he'll get a little shot to to show something. So he's doing well in practice, which is exactly what I would expect. Uh, Yeah, I'd I'd really like to see him do well and uh, make some bad people angry.
1: <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, we are Kylan Hill guys for, for sure. So, um, you know, it's crazy that how far he fell um, in the draft. But yeah, really talented guy. So um, I, I think that he could definitely, you know, make some waves in the second half of that Packers opener against the Texans. Um, but yeah, otherwise, I think that, that that should pretty much round it out as far as our uh, preseason discussion. Is concerned. I'm excited to see Kyle Pitts out there. I believe that. Oh yeah, um, I believe that. That's a Trevor
2: Lawrence kind of thing too. Yeah. Where when people see it, they're just like, "Oh, I get it. Never mind. I'm sorry, <laughs> I was skeptical."
1: <laughs> Let me go back and search my Twitter handle, and then uh, and Kyle Pitts, and delete yeah. everything. Um, <laughs> okay, let's get on over. So you had your RotoWire Online Championship, the Beat Mario Puig RotoWire Online Championship last Friday. Um, is a 12-teamer. Give the listeners a bit of background on, on this draft, where you were picking, the, the scoring format, all that good stuff, and then we'll dive into your roster.
2: Yeah, so when I was on the radio with Jim that day, I was kind of – or J- Joe, rather, sorry. Uh, I was, you know, t- talking a lot of trash about Jonathan Taylor and uh, maybe DeAndre Swift, I can't remember. But I, I basically was, was talking about how, look – I'm gonna to try to get late first round pick. I'm probably gonna take Jonathan Taylor. I'm probably gonna target Calvin Ridley and DeAndre Swift and we'll see if I can get them hopefully that you know the people in the league don't snipe me or whatever and maybe it won't in hindsight have been good luck but I was able to get those three guys. I in the meantime think that was somewhat fortunate. Uh, I know Jonathan Taylor isn't going ninth overall in a lot of leagues and oftentimes he'll fall into the mid or late second. I am just eager to fade those sentiments. Fade I'm the Yeah, I want to short that as aggressively as I can. I just think that it's nonsense. I think there's a lot of ideological trash that's invading like the, the broader narrative, the broader discourse around Such these as? questions. Well, it, it, I mean, it starts with like the, the running backs don't matter thing. I think that a, an obvious foreseeable... Result of the of the running backs don't matter thing is that you start being incurious toward what running backs are and you stop noticing differences between them. I mean, why would you care? They don't matter. Do you mm. do you try to make yourself an expert on things that you think don't matter? I, I mean, I probably do because Rarely. I'm a compulsive idiot, but I don't mean <laughs> to. And so uh, I think people are getting desensitized to meaningful differences between running back t- uh, talent specifically. And I think Jonathan Taylor is clearly one of the five best running backs in the league. And this is pretty similar reasoning to what I used with Nick Chubb last year when I was just so irritated with the people that were saying, like, Kareem Hunt might be better even, actually. So as three rounds cheaper, it's a no-brainer. You go with the guy who might even be better and definitely is cheaper. Like, he is not maybe better. He is definitely not better. If you still want to take him in the, instead and, and and that's what you believe, then fine. But that wasn't what they said. They were always like, oh, he might be better. They're going to act like it's a hindsight issue as to what the obvious outcome of that was, was no, Nick Chubb is clearly better. And and people are going to try to make that like, oh, that's a hindsight thing. No one could have known. You could have known. You just had to care enough to look in the first place at who these two players were. And I think the Jonathan Taylor ADP slipping into the second round, which by the way, happened after, and I don't know why it didn't happen sooner. Maybe it's like baseball guys, high dollar uh, DFS type people were distracted with something else until then. I don't know, but like about a month ago and especially about two or three weeks ago on underdog, the zero running back people just started raiding. like an yeah. entire horde of a horde of these people it's crazy. showed up and they weren't there before earlier in the off season. And so I am absolutely considering their presence as part of the calculus of why Jonathan Taylor's market deflated because these, these people started spending their capital at receiver and, and, uh, among the running backs, they probably cared more about you know pass catching uh, type guys more than Taylor, who by the way is going to catch passes this year. But anyway, um, I I talked all that trash, and so I, I, I the ninth pick, I did think about going with Aaron Jones because I love Aaron Jones too. Um, he, he's he's a he's a he's a beast. But because I was on the radio talking that way, I was like, well, that'd kind of be like underhanded if I uh, use this opportunity to diversify my running back investments when I basically told everyone I was taking Taylor. So I did. Uh, I do wish I could get like another NFFC team where I could get Jones at that same pick just because I like them both a lot there. Uh, But I went with Taylor and I'm not worried about it. I actually I actually pulled up some clips of him yesterday because I for a second for the briefest of moments, I was like, Man, maybe I am too high on Jonathan Taylor. And then when I started watching him, again, I was like, "Oh no, I'm not." And just you know, it, it took not even like thirty seconds of the clip. I was like, "This guy's this guy's a top five running back. Get out, get out of here with this this crap, this ideology that like oh all running backs are the same." It's like no man, you're you all you people are the same. All all you uh, freaking. Uh, this, this new paradigm of people who just have like the utmost faith in like algorithms and things to the point that they become disinterested in physical reality, it's, it's irritating to me and I,
1: I want to uh, make them pay if possible. I, I love everything you just said. absolutely. <laughs> right on. Um, yeah, take it to them. And uh, yeah, so a powerful, powerful start there. Um, you went ahead with your your next pick. Uh, you went and, and snagged Calvin Ridley. I thought that that's a great uh, way to, to start out. I, I think you know you you started things out with with three running backs in your first four, and, and I think that you know a lot of the times like like what you're saying about underdog, and that this is obviously different. This is NFFC, um, but at the same time, you know people will balk at at t- at taking running backs early, but uh, as we've kind of discussed throughout the entirety of this offseason, especially when we're in drafts where people are fading running backs early and just kind of t- uh, volume buying uh, all of the receivers, you kind of just trust your your evaluation of what you can get in the mid-rounds as far as receivers are concerned, and you went ahead and backed that up as well. I mean, after, after the fourth round, you got Josh Allen, and then uh, you hit receiver – with your five next picks. So I I think that, you know, you were able to execute a a different plan uh, than than a lot of people are, are, or than what is trendy right now. And you did it well.
2: Well, I'm glad you think so. I I will say though, I definitely see the appeal of going wide receiver earlier in NFFC because part of why I am going with a swarm approach at receiver in best ball is because I think the swarm approach works in best ball specifically. I think, I think, it should work having a bunch of guys a high number of players who are pretty good seems not necessarily better but similarly useful to me is having like four extremely good ones and then four kind of okay ones it's like i'm i'm gonna have guys every week i think that are doing something in best ball and i don't need to figure out which when in nffc you need to know because it's redraft you have you have to actually make the lineup and if some guy gets hurt and pulled out of the lineup, you're stuck with their p- zero points or whatever. You don't get somebody else plugged in automatically. So I can see the appeal of going, um, you know, Devontae Adams, A.J. Brown or Metcalf or something like that in the first two rounds of NFFC because, like, hey, that's that's two spots where you don't need to wonder at all what you're doing that week. Like, those guys are always in there. You don't need to worry about matchups. You don't need to worry about them falling out of their target rotation because of some other good player on their team having a good week in their place that that doesn't happen with those kinds of receivers so i i think ridley is that category of receiver and that's why i got him in the second round i would have considered other receivers for the third round pick where i took swift and the fourth round where i took carson and especially that fourth round where i took carson like i was surprised at how little was available at receiver at that point i don't normally target carson that much and uh in this spot um what would that have been I think that would have been almost the the end of the fourth round that i got him. And because NFFC is full-point PPR rather than half-point PPR, that was another reason that I valued him a little more than I do on uh, Underdog, where I don't have more than like a couple shares. So I wasn't expecting to get Carson there, and I wasn't thrilled about the pick, but I think... In PPR, he's
1: he's a really rock-solid yeah. value outside yeah, let's, of... let's I, talk about okay. Carson a little bit more. I Actually, I hadn't gotten any of him so far. I've probably done you know double-digit uh, best ball drafts at, at this point. I just got my first Carson share in the fifth round of a 10-teamer oh, um, nice. on, on Sunday. And I, it was a little bit just like curiosity and, and a little bit just like, if I'm going to make these many drafts, I might as well cover my base at least in, in one spot. But... I mean, just break down your outlook for, for Carson for this year.
2: Well, I'm definitely concerned that he's going to get hurt. He's gotten hurt each of the past five years, so I don't have any delusions about that. I, I know he's a very high risk, is about, about as high of a risk as any running back to miss time this year. So that is part of it. However, I think that in games where he is active, he's clearly a good player, and I think that the Seattle offense – some of its ADP, some of its cumulative ADP this year, I think is maybe dragging a bit because of how they finished last year. I think there's yeah, I think there's some concern that there's like a problem there among some people drafting, or at least like most people are a little tiny bit concerned. And I would say more concerned than they should be, especially when you're talking about the passing game. I mean, Russell Wilson, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett is not going to fail. The reason that they struggled last year was because they didn't have an adjustment that they could make from their initial loadout, and then defenses adjusted to it. In hindsight, the only adjustment they could have made was just running the ball more, like they did, to get those defensive looks early in the year that they were able to exploit in the first place. The looks from the defenses changed after they saw they weren't going to run like they used to, and they didn't have enough passing game ammo to kind of counter adjust to the way that defenses sat on on DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, but. That to me is something that's clearly going to change, especially now that they have a new offensive system entirely. Like if defense, if defenses want to sit on what the the Seahawks were doing last year in the passing game, they're going to get burned because there's just totally different concepts in play. Like the timing, the placement, the spatial qualities are all different. And instead of you know sitting on on the rhythm that the, the Seahawks displayed early last year and, and disrupting all these things that used to work so well, you're just going to be in the wrong place. And DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett are still the receivers and they're going to burn you. So I think that talent always wins out or, you know, wins out reliably enough that we can assume that Metcalf, Lockett returned to the prior levels, Russell Wilson to their prior levels. And in that case, they're all three underpriced or at least Lockett and Wilson are probably underpriced. Metcalf, uh, really good value, probably more or less fairly priced but uh, they're all great and if they are then Chris Carson's kind of going along for the ride too. He's going to be in scoring range. He's going to get the carries when this otherwise healthy offense is going to the run. And Carson was doing a lot more as a pass catcher last year than he was the prior two years. His rushing efficiency uh, his rushing volume on a per snap basis definitely decreased and that's why I'm not quite as high on him in underdog whereas the half point PPR but in full point PPR, Chris Carson, you know, in the miraculous scenario that he plays 17 games, he could catch something like seventy passes. Yeah, I was basically talking about how he catches passes quite a bit, and he doesn't. He didn't run last year as much as he did the year before. But uh, NFFC is full point PPR rather than half point like underdog, so that that was a bit of a boost in itself. And uh, yeah, I just I was talking about how I think the Seattle offense looks like it's going to be good to me. It looks like it's going to be good, and if Carson's a three down player in that offense, then you know that kind of stuff tends to work itself out.
1: No, hundred percent. I do think that that there is a collective penalty. It seems like on the Seattle offense for the way that they sputtered out um, late last season. You know, uh, you know, Wilson started out the year with the with the let Russ cook mantra, and and it was working out great. And then you know, towards the end of the year, he was basically not a QB one for any of those any of the playoffs or anything like that. So um, I think there might be some collective scar tissue on, on yeah. Seattle investors that way, but. Um, I, I I think that they'll bounce back uh, just fine this year, and, and Carson can definitely be a, a big part of of you know what is a healthy offense. Um, so let's get into uh, the receivers that that uh, that were aforementioned. You you of course got Josh Allen um, in the fifth round, um, and then you went Robbie Anderson, DJ Chark, Lavisca Chenault, Michael Gallup, Mikol Hardman. So walk walk us through. Um, you know, were those the, the specific guys that you were targeting in those particular rounds? Um, did you want to leave this draft with the with the combo? Um, just go on from there.
2: I was not pursuing a Chark-Chenault combo. I was more so looking to take one of the two, but they both were going so late that I ended up making the picks just because I didn't want other teams to get them. And I was like, well, if I got a put one of them on the bench then I guess that's fine because I don't know maybe maybe one of them will get hurt or something and then I'll be glad to have the other but I know I don't want some other jerk in the league getting LaVisca Chenault as their wide receiver three in like the ninth round or something so uh, I took them both I thought they were good players and, and obviously guys like Gallup, Michael Hardman are in this category too but these are guys who are a little bit better in best ball than they are in redraft because as much as I like all of them it's hard to make the correct pick between the four of them every week. And I'm definitely going Calvin Ridley. Um, I have to guess right now, pretty much every week between like Robbie Anderson, Chark, Chanel, Micol, Michael Gallup. And that's not easy to do because these guys are pretty comparable in a lot of ways. And matchups aren't everything. Sometimes good matchups go bad. Sometimes a good player does well in a bad matchup for no real reason. So it's going to be easy for me to end up with bench points at receiver like in best ball. This isn't a concern if, if they're scoring points, I get them. But in this one, I have to actually make the call ahead of time. So that's a little concerning. Um, but for the, the value of those players at their picks, I have no qualms at all. I was, it, I mean, in pretty much every one of those cases, I was like, Oh God, I hope these other guys don't get this, this receiver. Um, I, I, I hope I took away a target or two of some other teams. I, I'm glad to have all these guys in the meantime, but yeah, it's going to be a challenge. I'm guessing right, which of the non-Ridley receivers that I have do anything in any given week.
1: No, absolutely. And that, that's an interesting distinction that you brought up, like the the swarm strategy. Um, and Because throughout basically the entire offseason, up until now, up until August when redraft really get, uh, gets rolling, we just – are interested in best ball in the sense of accumulating the best high upside talent and not having to worry about any of that lineup setting. So now we're getting into, into that stage of draft season and it it can change your valuation. Like you said, these are guys that uh, maybe are like the, the quote unquote better in best ball types. Um, So yeah, I'll I'll be interested to see, you know, how you navigate that once the season gets started. But I I think at the very least you have a nice collection of guys uh, from which to choose um, my next question for you is uh, figuring out tight end, because I feel like when you, when you go away from, I'd say, the, the top five tight ends, you know, Kelsey, Waller, Kittle, uh, Pitts, and Andrews, it gets a little bit rocky, and I think that you can justify waiting on tight end for a good while after that, and, and that's what you did um, after you, you took Nicole, uh You doubled down, got uh, Tyler Higbee and, and Johnny Smith with, with back-to-back picks, so walk us through what what appeals to you about those guys as, you know, potential kind of later round tight end options.
2: Yeah. So I was hoping to get Kyle Pitts in the fifth round. I was partially so willing to take Carson in the fourth because in past NFFC leagues I've been in tight end slides quite a bit. Uh, I guess Travis Kelsey aside. So I was hoping maybe I get Kyle Pitts in my fifth round pick. That'd be pretty sick. Unfortunately, someone took Kyle Pitts, I think, like the next pick after I took Josh Allen. And then someone took Mark Andrews right after that. So um, there was still – I I don't even really – like I, I was talking earlier about how I like Mark Andrews. I would not have taken him that high. I, I, he's less valuable in NFFC than he is in an underdog because he's not even in theory a reception count tight end. He's like a touchdown and yardage tight end. So I think Mark Andrews loses a little bit in this format. I did want Pitts. Took Josh Allen because – yeah, that, that, that'll work too. Uh, I was considering, I think it was with Robbie Anderson that I could have taken TJ Hawkinson, and I really thought about it a lot. In hindsight, I might, or eventually I might regret passing up Hawkinson for Anderson there, but the reason I went with Anderson was because unlike even Chark, Chennault, Mecole, and Gallup, Anderson was a reception guy last year. Like He had 95 catches or something like that, so he could be a triple-digit catch guy in that round and if anderson hadn't been on the board if i hadn't perceived in an anderson that sort of weekly uh you know reliability ostensibly anyway i probably would have took hawkinson um but yeah if i'm not getting Pitts if i'm not getting hawkinson then i'm not gonna take like logan thomas or probably not robert tunyon i don't know what was going in like that 10th round range but i took higby before Janu, even though I'm higher on Janu this year, just because I was, I knew I was going to take two tight ends, and I was like, well, I can maybe get Janu in the next round. It looks like Higby's supposed to have been off the ADP already, so I took Higby, and I like Higby enough. I mean, I think he's definitely a good player, and I really think there's an under-acknowledged chance he has a big year in the red zone, especially with with Matt Stafford at quarterback. So I'm happy to get Higby, but. I think John going to pile up catches this year. I think he's going to be really good. So if I miss out on the pits and then, you know, the Andrews, Hawkinson's here, I'm definitely not going right in for the Goddard, Thomas, whatever. I'm, I'm waiting a little bit. And that's what I was basically doing here is I was, I was just waiting. And I was kind of surprised at how long Higby went. So I was like, you know, I, I'm not quite as high on him as John and PPR, but maybe I can just get them both right here. And
1: hopefully one of them pans out a little bit okay and then uh let's let's finish it out here um walk us through the the rest of your draft the end game strategy um and and you know how you feel about your team overall as we wrap things up here
2: yeah so i took trevor lawrence as my quarterback too in the 13th round because i decided he's going too late i don't want someone else to get him at this price and that was problematic because he has the same seven uh, week seven buy as Josh Allen. So I did that knowing I would have to take a third quarterback. And well, I guess I didn't have to, I could have just picked up a quarterback during the season, but I didn't really want to do that largely because there was just such trash available on the board. Anyway, at this point, like, I don't know if this happens in every NFFC draft. I guess it can't. Cause I know I was pulling up the past like seven days of ADP data and they were still taking running backs like three, four, five rounds earlier than ADP, like got starting in like the seventh or eighth round. That was the case. Like I'm pretty sure Melvin Gordon went in the seventh round in this draft as uh, one uh, little example and guys like Rashad Penny going off the board in like the 10th, 11th. So I'm not going to chase those prices. Like I'm just not going to. And I was like, fine, I'll take Trevor then. And then in the next round, I took uh, Tua Tagovailoa because he's playing the Falcons in Week Seven. So I was hoping, you know, maybe Tua, maybe Tua just turns out to be pretty good. And I'm just not even really all that pissed off about having to hold on to three quarterbacks. Or maybe I can wait till he gets hot, cut him, and let somebody blow their fab on him because they got uh, greedy and thought they could make it this year with ben roethlisberger as their first quarterback or something (laughs) um i don't know something like that but i was like whatever i know lawrence is going too late i'm gonna take him i know i'm not gonna start him but if i can stop somebody else from getting points that seemed to me more likely than the chance that i'm gonna like get a big steal with uh geo bernard in the early 12th round or something like that so that's the way i went and i already knew like if I have any shot of winning this league and getting into the the postseason tournament, I'll need Chris Carson, DeAndre Swift, and Jonathan Taylor to get hot anyway. So I was like, either that works or it doesn't, and I'm screwed. And I don't think that the fallout, I don't think like the the, the resulting complications of, of failure with those three running backs is going to be fixed by reaching for these garbage players four rounds above ADP. So I took two quarterbacks. Devontae Booker, to me, who, who I took after Tua, he's exactly the same tier as a lot of the guys that were going in like the 11th or 12th round guys who should just not be going that high in my opinion. Um, So to get him four rounds after those other guys, I thought was, I'm not going to get excited about it, but like in terms of the value, I think it's pretty clearly there. I went with the Ravens special teams. uh, I went with the Ravens defense and kicker team kicker, both back to back. And then I rounded out the draft just, Padding some running back names. I don't really even care. I didn't care. But I took Mike Boone and Royce Freeman kind of just to be antagonistic toward the Javante Hive. And uh, I took Sony Michelle in the last round because uh, if Royce Freeman and Jalen Samuels don't get traded to a team like the Rams or the Falcons, I think Sony Michelle might. Uh, and otherwise, it's like, you know, training camp's still got to go. preseason still got to go. Uh, it makes sense to take a bunch of running backs at the end of your NFFC draft just in case somebody gets hurt somewhere and then you don't have to spend the fab on their backup.
1: No, ab- absolutely. So um, I think you you were uh, able to round it out correctly and, and yeah, take some of those late-round darts as far as the running backs are concerned. Uh, we talked about Royce earlier. Maybe he gets auditioned, maybe he gets traded uh, somewhere else. And, you know, Michelle, uh, similar case. We'll have to see how things end up shaking up uh, with him, uh, that's going to wrap things up for this Thursday edition of the roto NFL podcast. Again, brought to you by our friends over at WinBet. For Mario Puig, I'm John McKechnie. Enjoy the first round of preseason action tonight and tomorrow and Saturday and Sunday. It's going to be a fun weekend, folks. All right, signing off. Try RotoWire today, free for 10 days. Get our premium tools, rankings, analysis, and breaking news alerts. No credit card required.
0: Go to RotoWire.com forward slash try.